you can remain standing for our final reading. It's in Romans chapter 15. If you have the Pew Bibles, that is on page 949. Romans 15, verses 8 through 13. Again, please pay attention to the reading of God's word. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I invite you to turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11, our previous reading. It's on page 575 in the Pew Bibles. And you can also turn in your songbooks to Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which is number 27, which is the song that we'll be singing after the message. I'll be referencing that. If you are visiting with us, and especially if you weren't here last Sunday, we are continuing a short series that we're doing three Sundays and then our Christmas Eve service here. We're looking at Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, this song uh, written by Charles Wesley in 1744. And we're seeing how this song points us to scripture, both to the Old Testament longing for the Messiah, and then to the New Testament fulfillment that we see in Christ. As I mentioned on Sunday, Wesley looked around in 1744, he looked around at the plight of the orphans in England at that time. He looked at the class divide that was going on around him, and he was grieved by what he saw. And he penned a poem uh, that, as we looked at on Sunday, it was the, the first verse and the fourth verse of this song whereby Wesley, a, a poem that he penned that later became the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And I think it's fitting to think about that, to think about the context that Wesley wrote that in, to think about what he was experiencing. And as we think about Christmas time, as we think about how much joy and hope there is this time of year, and we do have many reasons uh, to be joyful and hopeful. There are many things to be very thankful for. Those feelings are also at the same time tempered with the reality that there is sin in our world and there is sin in our own hearts. I was reminded of this, uh, the sadness of this time of year on Monday when I saw my cousin TJ's Facebook post. Uh, 21 years ago on Monday, my cousin Erica, his sister, was murdered in Oklahoma and our family gathered right around Christmas time that year. I was a, a sophomore in college gathered for her funeral and that was just a really hard time right it's like you're happy to see family but like that's the last place you want to be seeing cousins and people you haven't seen for a long time and the sad reality is that if you live long enough 
the childhood memories of presents and family meals can tend to get drowned out by the present realities of adulthood and difficult family and relational dynamics. And for some people, they enjoy this drama, right? They thrive on this drama. They're like ready to go into the family event and go at it with people. And other people don't want any of that. So they escape to other things. And for all of this, there is this nagging reality in the back of our minds that things aren't the way they ought to be. And maybe you come here and maybe you even feel guilty singing these happy Christmas tunes or putting on your best smiles when inside you actually don't feel that way. And you might be saying to yourself, well, geez, pastor, way to be bah humbug on Christmas Eve. Well, don't worry. I have good news for you. And we've actually already read about that good news and we've sang about that good news. And we will sing again when we sing Come Thou Long Expected Jesus about that good news. But again, we have to remember the reality of why we need that good news. As we look at verse two of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, we're going to see the longing and the fulfillment associated with our Savior's birth. The longing is all over the Old Testament. We saw that this past Sunday. There are these repeated promises throughout the Old Testament to the people of God about the coming Messiah. They're constantly looking forward in hope. And we see it here in, vo- in verse two, right in that first line, joy to those who long to see you. Second line, day spring from on high appear. This actually comes from Luke chapter one, verses 77 and 78, which is Zechariah's prophecy that John the Baptist would be born and he would prepare the way for the Lord who obviously speaking about Jesus, that he would give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby in the ESV, it says the sunrise, but in the King James version, it says day spring. So that's where we get this word day spring from on high up here in our song. We could say sunrise from on high up here, whereby the sunrise or day spring shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So there is a very clear acknowledgement here in Zechariah's prophecy in Luke 1 that there is a need for salvation from sin. There is a need for deliverance from the darkness and the shadow of death that we all live under. There's an acknowledgement that we need our feet to be guided in the way of peace because the paths of the world that we are tempted to walk on do not provide that peace. And if you look now with me at Isaiah chapter 11, the promises that we see here are incredible. In verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And we see in our song, the third line, Come thou promised rod of Jesse. Again, in the King James translation, the word that we have here, shoot, in the ESV is translated as rod. So rod of Jesse. It's a, a stump or a, a shoot or a a rod that will come from the stump of Jesse, this branch that will bear fruit. This is talking about the promised Davidic king. David was the son of Jesse. So again, it's this promise of a king who would come. We saw on Sunday that that promise is also in 2 Samuel chapter 7, talking about the promise of a son of David who would sit on his throne forever. We have to ask then, what will this king 
be like and what will he do? We have a very good description of that here in Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 2. It says that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, and the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. If we're familiar with our New Testaments, we probably think pretty clearly when we see this, the spirit of the Lord being upon him, we think about Jesus at his baptism, right? The spirit descended upon him like a dove. We might think of Luke chapter four, where Jesus stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth in his hometown, and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he says that this scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing. And he's saying that this, all this stuff that Isaiah is saying is about me. And he rolls up the scroll and sits down and some people marvel at him and other people want to throw him off of the cliff. Then we see in verses three and four here in Isaiah chapter 11, that he will judge justly and righteously. He will judge the whole earth. Look at then at the powerful imagery that we see in verse five. We see this warrior and this king imagery that righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This warrior king will be dressed, will be clothed with this belt of righteousness and faithfulness. He will judge and he will rule justly. He will, he will rule faithfully and righteously. But then there's this interesting shift here that Isaiah has. Notice what how this imagery shifts in verses 6 through 9. After this, long, after, the, after this longing for justice and equity in the human kingdom is finally executed by this great spirit-empowered king, we see a total reversal of the pattern that we witness in the animal kingdom. This kingdom where we, we look out and we see the survival of one species predicated on the, the consumption and the destruction of another. But look at what Isaiah says here in verses 6 and 7. Look at these contrasts. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Then it goes from kind of human kingdom to human and animal kingdom interaction or from animal kingdom to human and animal kingdom interaction in verse eight says the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the otter's den they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain now some of these verses might be familiar to you near the conclusion of isaiah's prophecy in chapter 65 when he speaks of God creating a new heavens and a new earth, he also mentions parts of these verses, the wolf and the lamb lying down together, the lion and the ox. And he again repeats the first part of verse nine in Isaiah 65. He says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For, if you keep going in Isaiah 11, turn the page if you have the pew Bible. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Well, so what's going on here? And where does this longing find its fulfillment? This longing for a day when all of these things will be reversed. Where does it find its fulfillment? Well, in the second half of verse two of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, it 
speaks very clearly of the birth of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament longings. O'er the hills, the angels singing, news, glad tidings of a birth. Go to him, your praises bringing. Christ the Lord has come to earth. But as we often see in scripture, there is the already and the not yet reality of Jesus' fulfillment of Old Testament promises. Meaning there is a a partial fulfillment now, but there is an awaited fulfillment that is to come. Picture this. Picture a five-year-old kid waking up tomorrow morning. He goes under the tree and he opens a present. And there is a gift from his grandpa. The title and a spare set of keys to his grandpa's 57 Chevy, right? The title is signed over to the kid, right? And, but he doesn't have his license yet. He can go with his friends. He can go and sit in the car and say, guys, this is my car. My grandpa gave me this car, right? But is it really his car yet? Like he can't take his buddies out for a spin. He can't drive it yet. Even when he gets his license at 16, he can drive the car, right? But he can't sign that title until he's 18. So the car is still not yet his, even though it's already his. So there's this kind of waiting period of something that's already true, but we're not yet experiencing the fullness of that. These promises from Isaiah are like that. The reality of the coming kingdom in Christ's first coming was not insignificant. And we are the beneficiaries of that kingdom. We get all of these promises in one sense. And Paul picks up on this present reality in Romans chapter 15, the other passage that we read. You can turn there. Again, that's page 949 if you have the Pew Bibles. Paul explains in Romans 15 how Jesus' first coming showed God's truthfulness and confirmed the promises given to the patriarchs. You see that in verse 8. Now that's speaking of Abraham and his descendants and the people of Israel. So Jesus showed God's faithfulness. He confirmed the promises. And it was so that the Gentiles, meaning not the Jews, not the descendants of Abraham, the, the other nations around them, so that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. And then Paul goes on to quote a few Old Testament passages here, including, as you probably noticed when we saw this, verse 12, which is a quote of Isaiah 11, verse 10. He says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. The Gentiles here, in other words, the nations, all the nations will hope in the root of Jesse the promised king who would rule in righteousness and faithfulness. The promise of this king coming was not just for the people of Israel. It was not just for their salvation and for their benefit. It was for the whole world. It was for people from every tribe and tongue and people and and nation. And Jesus came. He lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death, a substitutionary death in the place of his chosen people. And he rose again, and he is seated at the throne at the right hand of the Father from where he will come again on the last day to fully and finally establish his kingdom, where the wolf and the lamb will dwell together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. But until that day, until that not yet that we have not yet experienced, the people of God are filled with longing for the final fulfillment of these promises. And Paul probably had that in mind when he penned Romans 15, 13. Look with me. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is a great reminder for us at any point in the year, but especially at Christmas time, when the joy and peace that we so long for often eludes us. It's a reminder that God, by his spirit, is the one who fills us with all joy and hope in believing and graciously allows us to abound in hope as we wait with longing and anticipation for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, amen, come Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we can look back on these promises, that we can see fulfillment of these promises in Christ, that he would come, that he would bring peace, that he would bring joy to the world. And God, as we look around us and as we don't see that fully happening in the way that maybe some expected it, we realize that it was only a partial fulfillment, that there is a coming day. There is a day when Christ will return, when he will make all things new, when a new heavens and a new earth will be established and righteousness and justice and peace will reign forever and ever. And that those who know Christ will be a part of that kingdom. And God, we long for that day. And I pray for each and every one of us over these next days and, and weeks as we head into the new year. God, as we think about all of our longings, all of the unfulfilled longings, all of the things, the, the hopes and the joys that elude us in this life. God, may we see your promises. May we see the fulfillment of all our hopes in Christ, even as we long for that final day when they will be fully fulfilled at his second coming. God, make us a people who long for your coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.